0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday the 8th of September, just three days before Sweden goes to the polls in an election that's still too tight to predict. Coming up today, we will talk about what's been happening on the campaign trail and how the eight parties in Parliament are faring in the polls. We will direct our energies to soaring electricity bills and how Sweden plans to deal with them. We'll look ahead to to election day, how things work at the polling stations and when the results will start to become clear. And finally, we'll discuss why nobody is really talking to immigrants in this election and how Swedish politicians can get better at engaging with the country's 2 million foreign-born residents. I'm Paul O'Mani, and with me in Stockholm today I have James Savage and Yulia Agat, the CEO of the Arabic language Swedish news service Al Compass. And in Malmö, we have Richard Orange and Becky Waterton. Hello, everybody.
2: Hello. hello, hello. Hi.
0: And welcome to Sweden in Focus, Yulia. We'll be hearing more from you throughout the show, but to start with, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and Al Compass?
3: Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I, I just started listening to the podcast when I got the invitation, and uh, I can't believe I missed out. It's so good.
1: Oh, <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you. So I'm
3: definitely a subscriber now. Um, so Alkompis is uh, a Swedish media house. Uh, that uh, So we cover Swedish news in Arabic. And Arabic is spoken by about uh, 600,000 people in Sweden today. It's actually the second largest mother tongue. It used to be Finnish, but since 2018, it's Arabic. We've existed for uh, 10 years, and we're about 15 people working full time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we do, obviously, articles. So we have our website and app. But we also do a bit of radio and a lot of TV. Uh, So we have daily TV news broadcasts, web TV, um, that's viewed by about 40,000 people every day. And uh, our mission is to fill the information gap in society that uh, partially occurs when there's a language barrier. Interesting. It's sort
0: of really similar to the local, but in Arabic instead of English. Definitely. Definitely and um and you what's what's your story
3: <laughs> so i'm i became ceo uh, about a year and a half ago but i've been involved with El Compass since the start so for 10 years because it was actually my dad who uh, founded the company oh really yeah uh-huh. <laughs> so I, so i'm an arabic speaker as well
0: <laughs> great well thanks very much for that and we'll be getting your thoughts later on how politicians can get better at talking to immigrants and other topics that we'll discuss Let's kick off the podcast on a related note with something you tipped us off about, Richard, a new Swedish TV show called Invandrare för Svenskar. What can you tell us about
2: that? Well, I think it's really interesting just just visually because it's a bog-standard primetime quiz show. It's kind of like a version of Call My Bluff.
4: You have the panellists that lie about something and they try and get the the guest the game show guest to say if it's true or false
2: yeah so cool my bluff is like you say a, a, a strange word and you but but instead of that it's some aspect of of a of, of culture from one of the groups that's in sweden so you've got someone from serbia will say well is a, a thingy thing a, a, in serbia another word for you know uh, th- so a, had-
4: one of the examples was burek, which anyone living in malmo will know is food mm. um and the this this Serbian guy was just like, Yeah, no, this is the name for gay. It's like, this is where Berg came from in Swedish. This is this is like the tradition. <laughs> and all the different words for Burek, this one's Greek and this. He was so believable. And they we're like, Yeah, no, I believe you, 100 percent And the thing I loved about it was that you had these poor middle class Swedes that like was kind of so scared to say that they didn't believe someone, they were like, no, oh, no, you seem really nice. I'm just gonna, yeah, no, I believe you. That sounds completely <laughs> true.
2: Yeah, it and is, it was just
4: ah. like you could see the pain on their faces. Like, oh, how do I say this? Isn't this sounds unbelievable without sounding racist? It was, it was like <laughs> painful but hilarious. At yeah, the same I mean, time. I,
2: th- I think it's, I think it's kind of brilliant in a way. It, it shows up how uncomfortable a lot of ordinary, born and bred Swedes are about other cultures, and and how ignorant and 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 how awkward that makes people feel. And I th- and I think. That's not so much the case in the UK. I think, I think people in Britain or France know... Someone in France would... You know, Burek is the equivalent of couscous, you know? <laughs> Everyone in France knows what couscous is. You, you know what I mean? And um, mm. and so I think it's really interesting like that. And I, I, I spoke to Michael Lindgren, who's the the guy behind it, who's also the guy behind this comedy troupe Grotesco, which has been a big hit, uh, you know, maybe like 10 years ago in Sweden. What was interesting for me is how serious he was about it. That it's it's this very superficial... Uh, show, but he he sees it as having this, you know, it, he's coming from a very serious place. It's not just a joke. He's trying to present Swedes. It, here is the immigrant population, and he's got two points. One is that, the, as a category, immigrant makes no, in makes no sense. There's nothing in common between a Serb or a Bosnian and a Somali. It's a completely... Un- it's not a homogenous group at all. So when you talk about immigrants, what are you actually talking about? It's, it's not one group of people. And the other thing he wanted to make a point of is it's just how segregated Sweden is and how ignorant mm. people are of these different cultures. And also the third thing he wanted to make a point about is all the people on the show are born and bred in Sweden. They're much closer to Sweden than they are to their their home cultures. So how long do you have to live in Sweden before you stop being an immigrant? And he just uh, and so he ha- he had some very serious points, even though it's extremely superficial. uh, Game show.
3: I mean, I loved the show as well. I laughed a lot, and um, it it made me smile. Um, And I kept smiling until I read this debate article about the show (laughs) that basically said, "Look how normalized segregation is. Now we're even laughing at it." Um, And that kind of hit me a little. Uh, It it made me think definitely, Uh, and it's. it's what you said, Richard, about the show as well—how it's about segregation, but not very in a very obvious way.
0: Mm. Hmm. Definitely recommend people watch it. Be interested to hear what our listeners uh, think about it as well. Um, and James, you got me watching Hertolman. Can you can you tell people what that is if they haven't seen it, and what what makes it such compelling viewing?
5: This is well, this is this is a very different kind of uh, TV show. It's also but it's also very funny um, if you're into Swedish politics. And basically, basically if you're familiar with spinning image which is a British program with latex puppets um, doing satire about politics and politicians and this is this is a Swedish sort of equivalent of that it's um, except it's done with puppets that look a bit like Muppets I think they're probably cheaper to be honest um, <laughs> so all they all look the same and they've just got wigs but it's it's really funny it's it's sort of it's 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 taking politicians and putting them in kind of ridiculous situations that are, that sort of are supposed to illuminates things about politics and things about their about their about their personalities so you've got sort of Ulf Kristoffson who is kind of being bullied by Jimmy Orkason and is scared and is and there are lots of bits in it that are kind of Basically libelous, um, <laughs> <laughs> implying that politicians have you know secret sex lives. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much of this is based on truth. Although I do know some people who are in the political who are in the political arena who are, who you know are on the inside and know a lot of things. And they say, who is writing the script? Because they found out a lot of rumors. I'm not going to say which ones, but they found out a lot of rumors that are, that are very current among the among the sort of political insiders. And they've basically used that they put them out there in Herr Talman. Obviously not all the rumours propagated by Herr Talman our actual no. real rumours I'm, I'm just trying to protect ourselves from getting sued for libel just it watch pro- it for yourself and decide and
0: it portrays Magdalena Anderson as a, as a, a, chain, as a
5: chain smoker, chain smoker. Yeah. yeah and it yeah portrays portrays Ulf Christosan as as having a crush on um, Yuan Forchel one of his <laughs> one of his colleagues in Moderates and who um...
4: they
0: describe <laughs> okay. as the only attractive <laughs> moderate do that sort of allegedly thing again? Allegedly,
5: <laughs> allegedly
4: I also love all of the phone calls because they also have the speaker Herr Talman that's what it means it's like what you say when you have a political, you hold a debate in Parliament. You say, Mr Speaker, Herr Talman. So they also have the Speaker, Andreas Nullian. They have him like carefully tasting all of the different biscuits he's going to have on his fika when he's doing the Talman <laughs> picking the next prime minister. And and then he's like calling up Annie Lööf like, oh yeah, I've got like 5,000 kroner left in my account. If I give you that, will you promise to make me the Speaker in the next Parliament? <laughs> <laughs> Because it's like, I need to be speaker, please. It's my only. It's the only reason anyone knows who I am.
0: <laughs> All right, well, I uh, recommend that people watch both of those shows. So now on to Sunday's election. And uh, let's have a quick glance at the opinion polls. Have there been any significant changes since uh, last week, Becky?
4: Um, I mean, it depends what you define as significant. Like, yeah, the left is like 1% more than the right, but... In the grand scheme of things, not really. Everyone's still completely 50-50. Like it's it's still impossible to tell who could win.
0: Some leading Sweden Democrats came out this week and warned that Sweden's election results might not be fully reliable. Where have we heard that before? And is there anything to it,
2: Richard? When you say came out uh, and said this, it wasn't like a public announcement. It was in their own... It was in Sam Samnut, which is this far-right TV channel, web TV channel. And so... Kent Ekerut was interviewing Richard Jomshoff, who is, you know, a very senior Sweden Democrat. And it is, it's kind of like the equivalent of the kind of far-right media you see in the US, where, you know, they sit there and have a kind of chat and he and he goes, Well, you know, you know, we could have um election fraud here. You know, Sweden's even been criticized by the um OSCE, which is which is true. Sweden's always got criticism from the OSCE, which is this European organisation that check, monitors elections, amongst other things. But they're not even going to send election monitors to Sweden this year because they think that it's that the, that the election is is so unlikely to be to have problems and anyway and and so they were sort of talking about it and, and they and and Ekerot went on again about how it was so tight last time that it's only a few votes that w- could have been falsified at a few at a few election polling stations, which could actually swing the election. So it is, it's a very similar sort of technique to what we saw in the US before the 2020 presidential election, where they're trying to build distrust among their own voters. But then as soon as this was picked up by this, um, it's a kind of green liberal newspaper called SUDA um mm. and and they published it and it was picked up by other media then jomshoff kind of rode back and said no no what i was saying was that you know sweden has such a stable system that there's nothing to worry about and of course the election's secure <laughs> you know and you go, well that's not quite what you're telling your own supporters <laughs> but i
4: mean also to kind of dig into this critique that they've got like they have had critique for not being like secure elections but all of that's been changed so Originally, you, there was critique for the Swedish election system because you went in, you were in a public room, and you took your ballot papers, which all had the names of the parties you were going to vote for on, and then you went into and you voted. So people could technically see who you were voting for, and that's now been changed. So now you go into your own little room, you choose the ballot paper, you vote for it, so no one sees who you're voting for.
0: I have to say, I was always really uncomfortable with that, with with um, people being able to see my ballot. And I voted yesterday, and can confirm that it is no that people no longer see who you're going to vote yeah, for. Yeah, so that's even really the cri- good.
4: even the critique that Sweden has had in the past has now been addressed yeah.
2: I mean you could you, there was a way around it in that you could just take ballot papers from all the different parties and no one would know which one you were posting But
5: I think just to be clear because I'm not sure the readers who haven't been at the Swedish election would really understand it so when you go into, an, into a polling station each individual party has its own ballot paper so there is, it's not one ballot paper, like, like in lots of countries, with a list of all the parties on and then you vote for them. Each individual party has a ballot paper and you pick it and you used to pick it up on a table outside. So people would see if you were voting for Milieupartiet or the Sweden Democrats, people would see that you had picked up a ballot paper for Miljöpartiet or the Sweden Democrats. And you, so your vote wasn't secret. Yes, like Richard was saying, you could pick up multiple ballot papers, but that was your way around it. But the, but the default was you were just, people would see who you're voting for. It was weird. Mm-hmm.
0: So we had the two main prime ministerial candidates facing off in a major televised debate uh, last night. Did they say anything strange or startling?
5: My personal view is they didn't say anything particularly strange or startling. But it was, it was a really good debate. And I think it was helped by the fact that I think SVT produced it brilliantly. They had lots of really good ordinary people in the audience asking questions talking about their own experiences they had a woman of somali origin from the social who was a social democrat who had left the party after magdalene anderson had said that we don't want any somali towns in sweden and she challenged magdalene anderson on that it was great there was a woman whose daughter had been killed in a gang shooting you know the bullet had the bullet had gone in the wrong direction she'd be caught in the crossfire in a gang shooting and she 12,
0: was girl, yeah. a 12 year old girl a
5: 12 year old girl and 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 she with incredible bravery stood there and, and, and asked uh and Magdalene Anderson and Ulf Christian what they were gonna do. And, you know, I think it, it, it brought this into it brought, you know, all these issues in, into into reality. You know, it was it was ordinary people asking asking important, pointed questions. And I think it made it made Magdalene Anderson and Ulf Christian respond to them seriously. And I think what you saw from them, it was a much less polarizing debate than we've seen in most of the other um, debate, and I think it was also helped by the fact, frankly, that there were two people on stage and not eight. It was by far, I think, the most illuminating debate that I've seen in this election campaign. I don't know. What, you, what do you think? What do you think, Julia?
3: I'm a little bit tired of the 30 second, 20 second kind of uh, response debate. I don't think that gives the viewers enough uh, deep analysis of what the parties actually want or mean. Um, I mean, it's very clear. If you only get twenty seconds, you have to come to the point directly. But still, the I mean, a debate has to be a little deeper than that. I think.
5: I mean, how can how, how can we get rid of some parties? <laughs> and not no names named, but it would be. I mean, God.
0: Just let's raise the tone a little bit. We also got to to witness the uh, Christian Democrat leader Eber Bush <laughs> waving a, <laughs> a gigantic folicore of sausage uh, this week. Why, Becky? Why? What was the point she was trying to make? And how do you think it went down with voters?
4: Firstly, right, the most absurd thing about all of this is that it was a radio interview. So she was waving about a fallow call. She had a prop to a radio interview, oh. which just shows you how kind of how ridiculous it all is. But like the the point here, so she kind of said this in her summer speech. she was saying, "Oh, är for de svensk, like it's too expensive to be Swedish now every Magda price Magdalena prices everything's gone up in price. You can barely afford anything. You can't even afford your fallkov she She kind of maybe potentially over exaggerated how much a Fallukov costs." She was saying that, like, look at this frail it costs 45 krona in the shops now. And then the kind of people looked and were like, actually, no, in this shop, it costs 25 and this one, it costs 30. Anyway, it's kind of she was making this point that everything's gone up in price. What are people doing about it? But I think the thing that I found strangest about this whole thing or illuminating about this whole thing is that for some reason, Swedish voters really like politicians posing with sausages. <laughs> like, Johan Persson has been taking pictures eating hot dogs. Jimmy Åkesson goes and grills some hot dogs. It's this kind of, like, leaked kind of... I mean, I don't know if you're going to see it's kind of posing with some hot dogs, but... Stefan
3: Löfven also.
2: Yeah. In 2018, the Sweden Democrats had a, had a corv tournée where they drove around a big van of luxury sausages and <laughs> handed them out to people. Yeah,
4: I think mm. it's this whole, especially on the right wing, it's this whole thing of trying to be, like we're down with the people. Look, normal Swedes eat falukorv. Yeah. We falukorv love hot dogs.
2: is, is like, absolutely revolting. <laughs> it's the most disgusting Don't trust those stuff. strange vegetarian
4: <laughs> They don't even eat korv. Vote for me. I'm brandishing a falukorv in the radio. Like, It was just, I don't know. It's just so strange.
3: Mm. Everyone loves falukorv. Do, do you not? Is that a general opinion? You don't like falukorv if you're not I'm
4: vegetarian, so I'm kind of...
5: Okay. <laughs> I'm not vegetarian, don't like folicore, I think it's horrible.
4: I've oh, never wow. embraced
0: folicore either.
4: Interesting. Mm. <laughs> my daughter loves it though, but she's two, so... Uh, falafel macaroni and ketchup is uh, yeah, a favourite for her.
0: Yeah,
2: my kids love it too.
0: Okay, let's leave the sausage behind. <laughs> uh, with, the, with the global energy crisis casting a long shadow over the election. There was a story at the weekend that made a big splash um, internationally in particular when Magdalena Andersson held a joint press conference with her finance minister and the heads of the Swedish Central Bank and the financial regulator. What was the press conference about?
5: It was about bailing out the electricity companies. It was a, effectively, she stood there and she said that the electric electricity crisis, the energy crisis, has the potential to cause a financial crisis. And um, and therefore we need to, because the electricity companies go bust, and that will have a, a, a systemic effect and um, that we therefore need a bailout of the electricity company. She was, so, she, you know, she was standing there with support of the heads of, the, of, the, of these financial agencies. It felt like she was egging that angle a bit more than they were. Okay. Um, that they were they were sort of pulling back a little bit from this idea that it was going to cause a systemic financial crisis. Not, not and they were sort of oh, it's not like it's not really 2008 again. Um, mm. So you, you did wonder whether they were a little bit uncomfortable about being pulled into a discussion like this just ahead of the election. But nonetheless, you know, it was it was very much about saying that you know that we need, we need to have financial support for energy companies so they don't go bust.
0: And they held the the government held another press conference the the previous day on the Sweden Democrats.
5: Yeah, that was interesting. This felt very much like um, a a, a kind of either an opportunistic or a panicked reaction to the fact that the Sweden Democrats had overtaken the moderates as the second largest party. They went out in a a press conference and basically said the Sweden Sweden Democrats are a security risk. The Sweden Democrats have um, suspect relations to Russians and people should be aware of that and don't vote for them. And they got a lot of criticism for this, even mm. in the mainstream press, yeah. for basically saying things that they didn't have enough evidence for, or not presenting enough evidence for the things they were saying. Look, it is documented that the Sweden Democrats have been very supportive of Russia in various, in various different contexts, particularly in votes in the European Parliament.
0: OK, we've got a lot to cover. Let's uh, move on to our next topic. Let's turn now to nuclear power, one of the most divisive issues in this election. And I want to ask specifically about a recurring bone of contention. The parties on the right keep attacking the government for shutting down nuclear power stations. And the parties on the left keep saying that the company operating the plants, Vattenfall, took the decision itself on commercial grounds. What is the answer? Did the Social Democrats shut down Sweden's nuclear power stations? Richard? Well,
2: how long have you got? I mean, it's, it is <laughs> unbelievably complicated. And I, I sort of went into it last night and I have, I have, I think, got to the bottom of it. Essentially, it was the company itself that decided that the board of the company, Vattenfall, decided to shut down two nuclear power stations in 2015, and the chairman of the board came out last week in Svenska it and and stressed that was a purely commercial decision. There was no political pressure on him or on them to close to decide to close the plants. Anyway, so that's number one. So on the the most basic level, the government did not order the plants to shut down. But the second thing is to say: Well, did the government then in fact bring in tax rises and new regulations that meant that battenfall had to make that decision? And on that, I would argue. Also, the answer is no, but it is... Complicated.
0: And Richard, you've written a really good article explaining all of this and we'll put a link to it in the description if anybody wants to dig a little bit deeper. And staying with energy now, obviously a lot of people have electricity prices on their mind and we're not going to be able to cover everything here. But Becky is our resident energy efficiency expert and has, <laughs> written, uh, and has written an excellent article for members on how to save money on your bills. And we've also discussed some of these in a previous episode. So we're not going to run through them all again, but we will... Put put a link to the article too in the description and to the earlier episode. We will however now look at a couple of the most eye-catching policy proposals the parties are putting forward to ease the strain on consumers, starting with the left party and something they call Sweden prices. Uh, What do they mean by that, Becky?
4: It would mean that the Swedish energy market would no longer be linked to the European market. Uh, you would set a price on domestic Swedish energy first, and then you would sell your excess energy to European prices. So then you'd stabilize the Swedish market. There would no longer be this kind of Erlprisområde, meaning that Skorna ba- pays a lot more than Norland, for example, which on paper sounds great. But Magdalena Andersson actually in uh, Sudsvenskan, the kind of newspaper down here in, in Skorna, she came out saying, this wouldn't work. We'd have to leave the EU. Not even, not a chance. <laughs> And she kind of had an interesting argument saying that the whole point of Russia cutting off gas to Germany is to kind of create divisions within the EU. Like the whole point of doing that is that we say, oh, but we're just paying for Germany, blah, 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 blah. And people start arguing and infighting and stuff. And she was Mm. kind of saying, what we need to do right now is stick together as Europeans. I don't know how much of this is shit she's saying because she doesn't want people to kind of... A lot of we have to think there's an election next week. So I don't know how much of this is electioneering. But I did think that was an interesting point is that there's a reason that Putin is using this tactic because he knows that it's going to make things worse for Europeans all over Europe. And he knows it's going to put pressure on the government and pressure on yeah, pressure to do something. Pressure to say, oh, but just accepted Russian gas. Like, let them win in that way. So that was interesting. Basically, it's a yeah, the left party want to do it. And then Magdalene Anderson says it's not going to happen.
0: And then we have the Liberals who are talking a lot about the the north-south aspect, which you've mentioned, and given that electricity prices are so much more expensive in the south, and they've said they want to limit energy transition so that more energy is transferred from the north to the south. Please explain, because this is complicated.
4: Basically, they want to kind of make the energy prices between the north and the south of Sweden So they're more even, so that you're not having this problem with Skåne paying much more than Nordland. And the situation at the moment is that the north of Sweden generate a lot of energy. The south of Sweden are kind of linked to the European power grid more. There's a cable going from um, south of Sweden to Germany. So we, we buy German and Polish and whatever energy, which is why it's so much more expensive. So what they want to do is to kind of make it easier to transfer energy from the north to the south so that the south of Sweden can buy energy from Norland. But
5: obviously that's complicated and not... And- Power grids are an incredibly complicated things. So it sounds really easy to it sounds really easy to just well buy some cables. <laughs> it's like putting an extension lead in your home, and you can you can get you can you can take electricity from the kitchen into the into the sitting room. It's not quite that straightforward. And there's very long distances, and there's a loss there's a loss of effect over those distances as well. So I mean, it's 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 massively complex.
4: And it's never been a problem until now because it's never been there's never been such a difference in price between energy from the from the rest of Europe and energy from the north of Sweden.
0: OK, let's move on. This episode is going to be published on uh, Saturday, just a day before the election. So let's have some quick fire questions now about the mechanics of election day and what we're all going to be up to. So, James, first, uh, when do the polls open and close?
5: The short answer is they open at 8am and they close at 8pm. Some polling stations may have varying open times, so do check.
0: And how does it actually work at the polling station?
2: You, you go in, there's normally somebody behind a desk, you sign up, you give them your your details and they give you an envelope and I think the envelope has your vote number on it which is different from your personal number because it has to be anonymous and then you are taken to a cubicle which is which has all of these voting slips that we mentioned before which previously were just on the desk by the person who who greets you but now you go into a closed off cubicle and I don't know And normally, I mean, where I went for my early vote, there's a curtain, you could close it off so no one can see that you're taking the Sweden Democrats or the left party or whatever you're taking. And then there are different slips for each of the parties, but not just for each of the parties, there's different slips for the municipal election, the regional election and the national election. And not only are there different slips for there, there are slips for those three elections with the candidates on it with a list of candidates and there are also slips without a list of candidates so you can choose you can just vote for the party and not bother with the whole personal candidate selection or if you actually know who your MP is or who your favourite MP is or who your favoured regional politician is you can vote personally for them as well uh, if you choose one of those slips, and then you stick those in your different envelopes for each of the three elections, depending if you're voting for three elections, and then you give it to the voting person who posts it in a secure box, and then you're voted. Julia, do you usually do you usually vote for a person, or do you just like take the party?
3: I uh, I always vote for a person as well. Yeah, um, I don't know a lot of like municipal uh, politicians, but I sometimes just read. What, how old they are and their names and uh, get a feeling of um, their jobs obviously is also on the slip so sometimes I, I also take someone just out of a feeling <laughs> <laughs> which is very wrong but um, but for the regional and for the national I definitely I always choose a person
4: <laughs> I know people yeah, who um, who have voted for the lowest person on the list because they're like oh they'll be happy to get some personal <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 yeah
0: <laughs> um, stay with you for a sec Becky what, what time can we expect a result
4: so people normally say that you can get a result around midnight but with things being so tight this, this year it could be 1am it could be hopefully not 2am because we're all going to be staying up covering the election but <laughs> yeah after midnight I would say
0: and there's an, there's an exit poll as well isn't there to look out for
5: they collect it during the day and it's always ready on the dot at 8 o'clock and generally then you kind of know who's won in most elections, you've got a fairly good idea of how the land is lying. It ver- generally varies very little. The, the exit poll is, um, is a huge exercise. They ask a, a, an enormous number of people. Um, it's done by a, a team led um, by um, some professors at, Gothen-
2: at University of Gothenburg, and they are generally... Damn good. And, and when Becky says that, it, that, that it's decided, that, that it's decided at you know after midnight, the votes aren't finished counting for I think several days. So there's still there's still more to come. But that's when it's clear enough that the prime minister will come up and say will either concede or um, or not.
4: But then again, if we're going to add a caveat to that, and I know this was meant to be quick fire questions, so sorry about this, Paul. <laughs> With everything being so tight, like you still have to go through the process of finding a government, getting enough support in parliament, getting that person approved. So it could be that the block that has the biggest amount of votes doesn't end up being the block. Like, you know, you still kind of have to have all those negotiations. Okay, you're going to support us in return for this and all of that. So we're going to have a result, but that's not necessarily going to tell us who's going to be the next government.
5: No. And remember, in the last two elections, it's, the, 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 um, it's very easy to remember because in the last but one election, they reached a December agreement. And in the most recent election, they reached a January
0: agreement. So we're pushing for February. The, the so the we're sun. pushing
5: for February. <laughs> <laughs> it takes them a month longer
0: every time. Um, where's everybody going to be on uh, election night? Where are you going to be, Julia?
3: Um, so we will have reporters in, what do you call, Valvaka.
5: Yeah, the moderate election night party, I think we yeah. call it, Yeah,
3: and uh, also with the Social Democrats and then uh, out by the polling stations and then in the studio. So I'll probably be in between somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where.
0: How about you, James?
5: I am going to be at um, SVT's election night party, not on the telly, but sort of just standing there waiting for politicians to come in, um, and other experts that, who you can ask uh, questions to. There, there's going to be lots of good people there to speak to, I think. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Uh, Becky?
4: Um, I think I'm going to be at the Social Democrats, Wahlbarka. Uh, it kind of depends what happens on the night. If we're going to kind of, some, like, you know, if the Liberals drop out, then we'll maybe go to the Liberals and get some people there. If the Green Party drop out, we'll maybe go there. But I think my base is, from what I've understood, my base is going to be the Social Democrats. So we're, me and Richard are going to be going up to Stockholm for the election. Yay! going to meet Paul for the first time.
2: I know. Where, where are you going to be, Richard? I'll be at the moderates because the Sweden Democrats turned me down as they turned down pretty much every foreign journalist, I think.
4: Maybe they just had a lot of people and they prioritised SVT and Aftonbladet and they and all of them.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be um, flitting between the centre party and Liberals' uh, election night parties. And I've, I've signed up for some others as well. wherever's the most fun, I think. <laughs> um,
2: Whoever has the best food. We're quite tempted by yeah. the Green Party's vegetarian buffet. Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> as a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads.
0: Okay, we're going to turn now to uh, why no one is talking to immigrants in this election. Uh, Richard and Julia, you wrote a joint article on this topic. Richard, can you briefly explain the main arguments that you make and uh, maybe where people can find it as well?
2: I think the main thing I feel and, and we felt is that so much of this election has been about immigrants and how immigrants have settled in Sweden and what's wrong with integration and how immigrants are... Are not integrating. And this is all sort of happening over the heads of a section of society which is it's two million people, you know. It's 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 a it's a fifth of people in Sweden at least. So um more than that if you count people with with some sort of foreign background. And yet the debate has sort of come across as something that's been mainly between within the majority population, I, I, I feel. I think it was on Sunday night, I just, on a kind of impulse, emailed Julia and she said, yeah, let's do it. And then we did it. Great. And where, where can people find the article? It's going to be published on Saturday in the Aftonbladet newspaper and then simultaneously on our site and also on Alcompass. So is it going to Brilliant. be in three languages? It's going to be in three languages. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, I was watching the TV news the other night and there was a man interviewed who said there was far too much anti-Muslim sentiment in the election campaign and that he, as a Muslim, didn't feel especially welcome in Sweden. Is this kind of viewpoint something that you recognize, uh, Yulia, from uh, listening to readers of al Compass?
3: Yes, definitely. Islamophobia is real. Um it- it's not only the far-right extremists that have taken up a lot of the public space recently, uh, like Rasmus Paludan and the, the Quran mm. burning of the Quran, for example, um, but also in the parliament. I mean, the parties in this election are speaking in a way that's, uh, f- for example, they're not they're not saying that this and this ethnicity is bad uh, or these people are bad, but they are saying that this and this ethnicity's culture is bad and they have bad values they're not adapting to swedish values for example and that's also a kind of racism Mm. saying that this ethnicity's culture is bad or this religion is bad they're not saying muslims are bad but islam is a threat for example and also Um, The media and and politicians, I would say, they categorize Muslims in two different ways, mainly. It's either they're victims of their religion, especially women, or in particular hijabi women, that they're forced to wear hijab, uh, men treat them bad, all of that. Or they're evil. Uh, They have a hidden agenda. And and, uh, once again, like the, the bad values and ultimately they're just bad members of society. So yeah, and I think the problem is there's not enough representation uh, in, in the political sphere mm. and uh, media and not enough spokespeople uh, to represent uh, these communities.
5: There's also been a lot of talk about language and about how we've got to, how basically people have to learn language and there should be, there should be um, consequences if you don't learn the language to citizenship or, or permanent residency. You know, a lot of our readers don't speak Swedish and a lot of your readers, I guess, don't speak brilliant Swedish. And, you know, most probably speak some, but but, not, but perhaps not completely uh, fluent. How do your readers react to that? And what, what, do you, what do you think about the language debate?
3: I mean, they have a voting right. So in order to vote in a democracy, you have to know what you're voting for. So, it's only a democratic thing to have information in several languages because these people have voting rights. Uh, so, is debate about languages or is it about giving these people voting rights? Um, I feel like um, maybe some of these politicians that are bringing up these issues, what they actually mean is that these people don't deserve to have a voting right. Um, and that's a completely separate, complete separate uh, topic. But, I mean, we at El Compass, we are very. We always say that it's super important to learn the language, uh, Swedish, if you are in Sweden. But the reality is not so black and white. It takes time to learn a language. Some people will never learn the language. That's just the reality of it. And is it better for society if we don't include those people? No, of course not.
4: I think also something I find very telling about this whole debate is that you hear a lot of people saying oh, you shouldn't be able to live in Sweden and conduct your entire life in Arabic. That's just segregation. But no one ever talks about expat communities that only have friends who also speak English and never kind of learn Swedish. No one ever says that it's bad to to just speak English. It's this kind of hierarchy with languages. Like, it's okay if you're an English-speaking expat, because then you're an expat. But if you're an Arabic-speaking immigrant, then you're an immigrant, and then you need to learn Swedish and integrate. I just think there's this kind of double standard as well, which is why I hate the word expat, but that's another story. Uh,
3: Yeah, there's a real mystery around the Arabic language, as if you can't just hit, like, Google Translate and see what it says. And and it's, I mean, it's a global language. It's spoken by almost 300 million people in the world. Like, it's it's not so weird <laughs>
2: <laughs> no doesn't it doesn't it slightly come back to 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 you know ancient european history and the stuff that you know far-right activists like brave it came out you know there's this sort of battle between christendom and the muslim world that went on throughout the middle ages and there's still i think a little a little shadow of that that affects how arabic is viewed in in, in europe not just in sweden of course, that's batshit. I mean, Sweden was fighting Denmark for most of a thousand yeah, years. Yeah, exactly. We don't
5: go on it's about that. It's not like
4: Swedes are not accepting the Danish language either, to be fair. <laughs>
5: no, no, but with... with yeah,
3: got let's point. maybe not. I mean, it's Jesus not exactly Christ. the same, yeah. I don't think Danes are
4: subject to such structural issues as Arabic speakers are. No.
3: But I mean, I understand, like, Islamophobia also comes from ISIS, for example. That was recently. But we tend to forget that the people fleeing from ISIS who came to Sweden, they are not a part of ISIS. I mean, they fled from them. Um, so if anything they hate ISIS more than we do. Yeah, 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 exactly.
5: But it would be so it would be so helpful if more if, if if there was just a bit more interaction. So the immigrant groups became demystified for more people in the majority community, if you want to call it that. I think that would be really this,
0: this, this election has seen the emergence of a new party, uh, which won't get even close to reaching the 4% uh, threshold, but it's called Nuance and it argues that structural racism is endemic in Sweden. Uh, Richard, can you give us some more background about this party, who's behind it and what sort of policies it's espousing?
2: Yeah, it was founded by a politician called um, Mikael Yüksel, who's got who's got a Turkish background. He came to Sweden when he was quite young, I think eighteen, and he's a uh, he studied politics at I think Gothenburg University, and then and then joined the Centre Party and was a Centre Party politician. And he was kicked out from the Centre Party, and then recently started this new party, Nuance, which seems to be pretty successful. It's it's kind of disorganized. It's very hard to speak to. I've been trying to contact them, and they it's it's very hard. I think they're not particularly open, they're not really marketing themselves towards the sort of the the mainstream Swedish speaking population. It's very, they're very targeted. And they're talking to immigrant populations, particularly those who don't speak English, and they're campaigning in Arabic and other languages. And their goal is to get into the municipal councils in, in a few target cities, like Malmo, Gothenburg, bits of Stockholm. And they also are hoping to exploit this rule, that if they, I think it's if they get more than twelve percent of the votes in a single municipal, a single voting district, they can then get an MP in in parliament. When they're targeting Malmo, so they've been campaigning very strongly in Malmo. And actually, I went up to the Social Democrat stand in this Valstuga area in Malmo, and I said, "How's the election going?" And the first thing she said was, "We're really worried about nuance that they're going to, they're going to take a chunk of Social Democrat votes." And 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 Malmo, they nearly lost. The Social Democrats nearly lost. Control control in 2018 so I think there's a there's a fear amongst the Social Democrats that even if nuance don't get in it will lose them votes and then uh, let the Sweden Democrats and you know and uh, moderates kind of bring come in on a right-wing coalition yeah. but but um uh, I mean Yulia knows a lot more about nuance than I do because I've been struggling to talk to them
0: yeah and we we'll turn we'll turn to Julia now uh, Richard mentioned that that Mika yuxl was kicked out of the center party why why was that
3: um, because uh, he was associated with an ultra ultranationalistic uh, party in Turkey called Gruevarianas Grey wolves. wolves, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, I mean, was that was that true? Did he have sort of close ties to the to the Grey Wolves?
3: Uh, he denies like being a part of them, but he has admitted to speaking with them. Sort of. yeah.
0: yeah. And are they gaining any traction in immigrant communities?
3: Uh, yes, they're gaining traction, not among all immigrants, uh, among im. Immigrants that have not integrated, so there is a big difference there. They're gaining track. They're gaining traction among immigrants that do not feel like a part of society. They're isolated, um, maybe scared of society, and uh, I mean these people. Some of these people have voting rights and they are going to vote, but they're not having any dialogue or any understanding of the Swedish society. And so Nuance is really targeting them. And uh, uh, Nuance is also a populistic party. So they're saying exactly what these people want to hear.
0: Mm. What sort of things are they saying?
3: Well, uh, like you mentioned, the racism is, uh, I mean, why aren't there any jobs? Because there's structural racism. Like all of those, that's always kind of the answer. But also saying things like, if you remember the campaign against the social services earlier this year, they're saying that they're going to help the families get their children back. And that's something so the, that... So
0: the, the claim is that Swedish social services are, are sort of kidnapping Muslim yeah, children. Yeah,
3: exactly. That's what happened earlier this year. Uh, and that campaign is still ongoing. And mm. Nianz is the only party that is sort of supporting that campaign. And they're making these promises, but they're not going to be able to bring any children back. from. So, I mean, that's not a... Polit- it's Sweden. I mean, that's not how... Uh, the politicians—that's not their role—to no. um, interfere with like the, the authorities in that way. Um, so that's—it's a dangerous development.
0: Mm. And they also want to ban Quran burning.
3: Yeah, which is—I mean, it's a part of like the the whole debate around de frihet, the freedom of uh, speech. Mm. It's not illegal to burn a religious book in Sweden, and so that they say that they're going to be able to make it. Um, illegal to burn the Quran it's are they going to change the like the grundlag the
0: constitution yeah
3: Yeah. I mean come on that's not uh, so so when you debate with nuance and bring up these things they just kind of they don't have the answers but these people who they are targeting they're not mm. uh, asking these questions
0: yeah
5: on the one hand you know these these are the sorts of views that are not not represented by the mainstream parties and they are held by a significant minority of people Is there an argument to say that someone should represent them or are these these views just a bit...
3: I don't think it's a good idea to have an immigrant party um, because that just creates more polarization. Why are we separating immigrants from Swedes? It's not... We have one society. We should all be a part of that society together.
5: (laughs) Yeah. But but when you sort of think back to the founding of the Sweden Democrats and how they became so big. I'm not saying nuance would ever become this big, but and you look back to what could have been done differently, there was clearly a group in Sweden there was a significant proportion of the Swedish population that politicians in Stockholm were not speaking to or not connecting with, and if nuance is not to get big like the Sweden Democrats, then those politicians need to find ways to connect with the sort of people who who are finding nuance attractive so that they don't get bigger. And it would be quite, you know, perhaps they also need to connect with the people who are voting for the Sweden Democrats. I suppose they've been trying to do that and not terribly successfully.
3: Yeah. I mean, the has been a wake up call. Uh, I would say it's it's been a wake up call, but honestly, just for the past like two weeks, maybe. Mm. Where has the conversation been for the last four years? Now we're seeing that the parties w- from where uh, the voters are going to neance like the Social Democrats or the left party, mostly. They're getting a little bit nervous and they want to like understand why and start talking more with immigrants and all of that. But it's a bit too late now. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a good wake up call, but it's a bit too late, I guess.
0: You mentioned, Julia, uh, that Islamophobia is real. I mean, how, how do you think um, politicians should be tackling it?
3: Well, first of all, admitting that it exists. And, uh, I mean, we interviewed Morgan Johansson after the Eastern riots yeah. in connection to the burning of the Quran, And he was very, very firm. And he just said that um, we do not accept violence and, and all, uh, we have freedom of speech. And all of those things are obvious and you need to be firm. And, and we understand that. But I think our readers, what they really wanted was just for him to say, we understand that this is hurtful. You know, just like the rhetorics can change just a little bit and then go on to say, "But uh, we do not accept violence I and mean, you like mm. just just show that there's because Sweden is a very secular country, we can't really relate to people who are religious, but these people come from countries where religion is a part of life, mm. so if you attack their religion, say that Islam is bad, you're attacking them, mm. so it's very different
0: if we can be Constructive? I mean, what advice would you give to Swedish politicians who want to engage with the foreign born population um, on a meaningful level?
2: I mean, I think what politicians tend to do in Sweden is when there's a shooting or an election, they go to these areas and they walk around with loads of bodyguards and they meet somebody from you know, Friis or some kind of youth centre that deals with problem kids, and then they go away again. And I think that's all they've done for the last 20, 30 years, and it's not enough. I think the politicians need to be visible, and they need to visit these areas all the time, and not only when there's a shooting. And, you know, go to a football match or or or, or talk at a cultural festival or do something when it's a positive, when there's a positive story, when it's not just a negative Story.
4: Show that you want to invest in these communities as well. Open a new library. Open and like don't like make sure people feel like you're doing positive stuff as yeah, well. Yeah,
2: and I find Sweden has this kind of mundighet culture, so uh, th- they're very uncomfortable dealing with people outside of these structures. So there's always these, you know, there's people like in the in the the Pe- Perth people who organise the Yver festival. There's this global village, which is a great, you know, it's a great organisation that does great work, but. If you're in Swedish radio and you want to do a story about immigrants, you you, you ring the person at Global Village and they always contact the same person. And, and that there are these sort of people who are the kind of appointed intermediaries for Sweden's Immigrant culture, which maybe Al Compass is one of them, maybe Global Village is one of them, but that's maybe, the only people they talk to. And maybe d-
4: maybe James Savage is one of them whenever anything happens in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, and I think I think just just talk to a broader range of people. Don't just talk to Fruis Suiter. Don't just talk to Global Village. Maybe. But
5: do keep talking to do keep talking keep to, to us as well. Al to the local.
2: Exactly. That, 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 that's what what I think. And and go there more often. I mean, when they say turn over every stone. I I think well why not why not move the mayor's office in malmo to one of the areas for for five years why not actually move the government there do some massively big symbolic gesture or bring in a scheme yeah i don't know that people should meet each other uh, yeah have just, festivals. just
4: do something instead of blaming it all on the people that live there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you think julia
3: um i think the uh, politicians should listen more to what people need in these areas um where there are living more people um, with foreign backgrounds and and create policies or policy suggestions that are based on their needs. So, for example, uh, housing issues or uh, language, sure, I mean Swedish language, but more specifically, how can we create better SFE, for example? Those kinds of policies that really answer to their needs.
2: I suppose the, the only other thing is when we were talking to Andrea Voya, she said that one of the conduits to integration that had worked so well in the US or in the UK is when the authorities deal with the civil society organisations that immigrants create themselves, you know, sort of Somali groups. or And, in, and she said in Sweden, the authorities had, had refused to deal with them or to talk to them because they see that as as a sign of segregation you shouldn't have your own organizations we've got our own forening culture which you can join in join in on join the football club that we've set up for you and won't talk to something that that's that comes from the bottom up grassroots organizations so i'd say to recognize and talk to grassroots organizations is something that sweden doesn't do and really should do
0: That's all for this week. Make sure to check out all the links in the description to the articles that we have spoken about and to the article jointly penned by Richard and Julia. And thank you, as always, for listening. And this week's panellists, Becky Waterton, Richard Orange, James Savage and Julia Aga, and sound engineer Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mani, and we'll be back again next week with Sweden in Focus. Enjoy the election. Until then, take care.